All right, we're live. All right, everybody, welcome back to Talk with Army. I am your co host, Delilah. And I'm your co host, Daisy. And today we are talking about um, a pretty hot topic that's been on Twitter that like comes and goes, and I'm sure you've already guessed it from the title, but today we are discussing infantilization and over-sexualization of BTS and Asian men in general. Right, Um, because this has been a really hot topic for a while, and our last ARMY Anonymous um, section, this was for episode six, um, there was somebody who was talking about, um, you know, problems with that. We do get it from time to time, actually, in our submissions, not even just episode six. So now we're finally going to do an episode on it and um, kind of put this discourse to rest, because every time I see people talk about it on the timeline, my head hurts. Yeah, I think people, I, every day people learn a new word and they just go with it, always misuse it. Um, Like, I think now the recent word that we've, like, we still talk about infantilization over sexualization, that's still there, but do you see how many people misuse the word queer bait now? Um, Especially during my pride month, I, I'm, I'm getting tired. (laughs) so tired sickening literally so so many these terms have you know actual definitions so like we do with every you know episode that relies on specific terms we are going to define them of course so for anybody who may not be sure of these words here is the definition for you guys basically for infantilization to infantilize someone is to treat somebody as a child in a way which denies their maturity in age or in experience and um for over sexualization it basically is kind of self-explanatory but it makes it's basically to make something overly sexual or to objectify in a sexual manner so these are the definitions we will be using um and uh yeah a lot of people for some reason on twitter do not read these definitions when using these words they just throw them around and nobody knows what they means and it's tiring so if you weren't sure what they meant here 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 you go (laughs) yeah we we um i think it's better to not engage in discourse at all if you don't know what you're talking about but unfortunately twitter hasn't learned that yet so we are going to try and have a very uh, good conversation today in regards to this and we decided to start that by breaking things down by two categories so we're going to explain how infantilization um works by the industry and then also how uh fans also promote it whether it be on purpose or not right so um in terms of how people um infantilize idols in the industry um you know you see a lot of examples of this for example you'll see 
um, idols who have like school concepts despite having like already graduated high school like you'll see this a lot where like if they come back with a certain song and like the concept is like they're in school but like all of the members are like over the age of 18 and you're like huh <laughs> it just doesn't look right or things like um very childish concepts so not even just like for example just school but like it could just be like very i guess childlike visuals um i think a good example of this would be uh chewing gum by nct dream i believe that was their debut song wasn't it yeah yeah so r.i.p to <laughs> r.i.p to them because um, oh my gosh so, so like i mean i feel like the song isn't that bad on its own but when you realize the members at the time the age range was like 14 to 18 and so i mean we're not saying we want 15 year olds to be like hip thrusting in the camera or something but it is a very it, it feels very baby shark very preschool yeah. like teenagers while they aren't adults they still you know they still have more maturity and sense than a kindergartner and they also don't want to be treated like kids like when you're a teenager like every teenager will understand this or people who right. were teenagers beforehand when you're a teenager the second you turn 13 you don't want to be treated as a kid so um this is especially um more so for guys so like if you're like age like 14 and you're doing a concept like chewing gum like i feel like if i was in their position i would be pretty mortified and like embarrassed because imagine you know i'm talking to all my boys like yeah you know i just got signed to this label sm i'm about to debut i'm about to be so big and like my debut song is some like childish patty cake sounding thing and it's like oof yikes bro and like my friends are looking at that nah nah it couldn't be me like I guess I guess the live performances kind of were as bad because they were doing like choreography on hoverboards like I don't know how they did oh, that Oh yeah, I did see that um, was cool. But, but that was pretty cool. Um and so I guess that kind of I feel like that kept it that was a good way to uh conceptualize youth. Um but like the song itself is just a no. <laughs> Yeah, also the music video, the visuals of the music video were probably the biggest problem I had with it because I was like, I know that nobody here wanted to put on those outfits and dance like that or just, uh, it just, it just felt very kiddish to me. So I can, I can, I can just feel their pain, honestly. Yeah. Um, and then another way we feel the industry uh, uses infantilization is when companies make their idols sing in a higher tone than normal to sound younger mm. or just to like sound quote unquote cuter uh an example of this is i'm gonna use momo from twice because if you watched her on 16 and if you don't know what 16 is 16 is the survival show that uh produced twice so um and in that her vocal tone is actually very different from her vocal tone uh now and i know that part of it is oh companies you know they want to have like a unique more unique sounding voice i guess to make their idol stand out but M momo 
I feel doesn't have enough lines to like justify that like for example with Blackpink you have you know they have Rosé that tone of voice but that like sticks out more because there's only four people so like there's more lines she sings but when you have nine people I think there's really no reason for Momo's vocal tone to be so high and you know she struggles with it um because you see her you know kind of like cringe at herself sometimes when she has to like sing I know there was that controversy where uh, Momo when was on a music show they twice had just got a win for more and more and she was singing and it was kind of like a little bit out of tune and so she kind of cringed at herself but I kind of put the blame on JYP because Momo is always singing in that really baby tone. Another example that would also point out is if you listen to Momo's singing parts in Likey, I feel like you can also hear what I'm talking about. And I just feel bad because it's doing her a disservice. And I feel that, you know, Twice's vocal tone as a whole isn't so high that if Momo sung a bit deeper that it wouldn't blend well with the rest of the group. Yeah I can definitely see what you're saying there like when it comes to things like that you know making people sing in a higher tone than usual to sound more young like I feel can definitely just come off as weird especially the older that person is. And another example we have of how um, idols can be infantilized in the industry is things like excessive egg And, you know, if you're new to K-pop or anything like that, basically what egg is, is basically like being cutesy, like kind of cute gestures, talking cute, acting cute in general. Um, it's very popular, um, not just like within the K-pop realm, but just like as a whole, because, you know, Korean people, they seem to like really cute things and that's totally fine. And by, and by being cute, we mean like baby cute. Yeah. Like it's a very specific type of cute. Yeah, specific um, brand. And the thing is, it's also supposed to be cringy. Like the, like the average Korean person finds it cringy which is why idols do it on variety shows it's to make fans laugh because it's cringy um but i guess because fans also really like it uh it makes them continue to do it even if they don't want to or they kind of go a little bit overboard with the egg yo yeah so like you can tell when like they're clearly doing it for laughs but then also there gets to a point where like sometimes like you can tell when like they're they've just been asked like way too many times to do it and like they don't want to do it so like there's a fine line between you know doing it you know and then you know having your laughs and then going but then like being made to do it like all the time and that can be like really like you know really uncomfortable for a lot of people because obviously like all these idols they're you know, teenagers uh, to people in their 20s, sometimes even their 30s. And it's like, what what do they look like doing Aegyo like all the time? Like, that's just, it can be weird. Yeah. Um, an example we wrote is because, I mean, it's not all the time, but Chu from Luna, like she has a very cute and playful personality. But sometimes in interviews, I feel like you can tell she's kind of playing it up to the point where it's like, okay, 
let's move on. You know what I mean? Because, <laughs> I mean, I think Chu is a very cute person. And, you know, I like to watch, like, her video sometimes because she is cute. But there's that one interview. Do you know what interview I'm talking about? Wh- which one? Where, it's, I don't know, uh, it was a few of Luna's members and she was there. And the interviewer had, like, asked, like, what orbits mean to Luna or something. And Chu was, like, screaming milkshake for some reason. And it made no sense. And the interviewer was kind of, like, standing there poker face oh no oh my gosh i don't know what i would even do bro like that's that's actually insane and like not even just like luna chu but now that i think about it like um hobie especially back in the days like back like 2013 2014 well not well yeah yeah like around like their like debut days and stuff like that hobie really loved doing ego on the camera like so much like he still does to be honest he plays it for last but like it used to be like way more frequent back then um so like he just loved doing that not even just to make us laugh but also because like bts hated it every single time he does <laughs> and give bts are like oh damn here he goes again like you could just see them standing on the sidelines like sims characters they're, they're, they're just walking their heads in their their heads in their arms like we we don't see it we're not here i'm an illusion <laughs> i know it's so funny and it's like you know i understand why he does he just does it to get a rise out of them but like he at least least like if he doesn't want to do it like he's not doing it so like sometimes like he'll just be chilling and you know that's totally fine but you know i feel bad for people who are like made to do it and are just like kind of uncomfortable or like people made it like their concept so like they have no choice so yeah and so we decided to do a little bit of research for this episode because like we just established there are some ways the industry you know goes about um promoting infantilism but the question is you know why like what what do what do they what's the purpose like what are they actually getting from this and so i did some digging and i found in a published article by a researcher named Jacopo Bernardini um, and the article is called The Role of Marketing in the Infantilization of the Postmodern Adult. Um, the author of this, uh, Bernardini, he has a PhD in social and political theory research and he is currently at a university in uh, per- Perugia? Perugia? Perugia, I think that's how you say it, in Italy. Um, and he's currently employed as an assistant professor of sociology and methodology in social research. And he brings up this concept called the infantilist ethos, which is basically an ethos of induced childishness. So an infantilization that is closely tied to the demands of consumer capitalism and a global market economy. And he says, um, like, he didn't coin this term, but he creates a thesis that's built off of it. And he says that his thesis is that the encouragement of regression of adults is necessarily connected to the promotion of goods directed to a specific group of adults, which which are youthful adults and adult children. And that is a group that has been gradually created by the market itself. So his thesis is he's arguing that capitalism 
profits off of the regression of adults and therefore manufactures that regression for profit. Um, and then, of course, we keep going. So, like, why? Why? Why do... what? What is the capitalistic gains of adult regression? And he says uh, three things. One, the needs of children and young people are ideally and potentially infinite. So, while an older adult will assess the real need of objects, on the other hand, children... They um, don't have utilitarian motives when they're assessing the value of something. So they are more looking to benefit themselves than the whole. And then also, the adult used to be a child and a teenager. So basically, uh, the market relies on the nostalgia effect. And we see that, you know, with Disney doing all these live action remakes that, like, no one asked for. Mm -hmm. Uh, We see it with, like, retro fashion coming back in. Um, It's like, I don't know, I feel like it's like a new decade every year that, like, is suddenly in again. And then, let me see. Oh, um, and then his third reasoning is basically just uh, based on demographics. So basically, because the birth rate in the Western world has decreased, as a result, the average age and life expectancy is increasing. And so that is important because the Western market actually makes up like 60% of the global market economy. That is insane figures. Right? And so the market has not caused production to deviate toward the child customer, but it has rather found the ideal customer and the irrationally consumerist nature of the child. So you still want to target adults and not child, um, like actual adults, because they have economic resources and then also the massive and growing presence of adults in the total population. So you want to focus on the adults because people are having less children so that market is getting smaller therefore if you can take an adult who has economic resources and exploit the childish nature of them and manufacture so that they wish to you know feel younger or relive their older days um then that is a that's basically a win for the capitalistic market. Basically, you said so, it all. Yeah. What do What do you think, Daisy, of this article I found? I think it's very interesting. I think I do think so as well. It is incredibly interesting, and all this makes perfect sense. Obviously, they want to go and target the nostalgia factor, which is why so many of you know so many products these days are just targeted towards our childhood memories like for example you know i walked into tyson's corner one day in the mall and i saw this store it was a clothing store and it was selling jerseys and all the jerseys had like old cartoons on them for example things like i don't know 
Bugs Bunny Rugrats, you see them targeting that specific type of demographic where it's like, oh, that's the cartoon I watched as a kid, or oh, that's the food that I ate as a kid. Like they're always tapping into those memories because they know that we, especially this day and age where like depression and anxiety is at its highest, we're trying to like regress to a mindset where we're not thinking of that or just to think back on our happier days and to be able to target those childhood memories, I think is a way that they saw that they can make a monetary gain from that. So obviously like this is like, I feel a really key factor as to why like a lot of adults, you know, are being deliberately infantilized by the industry in order to create that market, to create that demographic and then target it. Yeah, I think I, I don't know, like, I wasn't expecting to, you know, find, you know, this much when I wanted to research it, but it makes total perfect sense, and I also just want to say sorry to Italian armies for my pronunciation. I know for a fact I probably butchered the name of the university and the name of the researcher, so sorry about that, but, um, I'll see if, um somehow maybe when eventually we do have a working website maybe i can uh insert these pdf documents then that way if you guys want to read the entire the entire thesis yourself so you can totally do that uh the way i found the articles that i mentioned today is through my university's uh library databases and so if without like a college um without access to my college databases i probably wouldn't have found these so it's a little bit it might be harder to find it if you don't have access yeah it's it's not and i i want it to be accessible so yeah like when it comes to i remember we even had this discussion um during because remember when we were talking about um our view for butter and somehow like we completely deviated from the topic and started talking about oh my gosh guys like download the pdf files that your schools have on databases because you want to keep that information (laughs) honestly yes (laughs) yeah when it comes to accessibility um once you are in university and you have access to so much information take advantage of that download as much as your laptop allows you to to make sure that that information does not go anywhere because once you graduate then obviously you're locked out of the database you can't access that information for free anymore a lot of times it's either like you just can't find it at all or if you do find it then you have to pay and it's like oh that'll be like forty dollars and i'm like forty (laughs) dollars Yeah, like, $40, I mean, like, I kind of get it, like, these researchers gotta make money, but, like, I highly doubt this $40 is going to the researcher, um, that's just me, they, they get grants to do research, they don't, they don't need my $40 access. Right, they're not paying out of pocket for research, but you know what, whatever floats (laughs) their boat, another type of capitalism we can dive into another time, but anyway, um, now that we've basically, like, Delilah's just given you a very good explanation as to how exactly people in the industry can make a profit out of infantilization i think it would be good to talk about the ways in which the fans infantilize idols in turn 
So when it comes to infantilization of idols, again, this has been like discourse that we've seen pop up on Twitter from time to time. We probably discussed it in a few episodes beforehand. And, you know, most people don't actually know how to use the word. So we're going to give you some actual, actual examples. So one example of this could be um, the way that fans treat the idols as children who cannot make decisions for themselves. And a lot of this I do see like most commonly in like, the solo stand community and the manti community because if anyone infantilizes the boys as much as uh them like i haven't seen it honestly because they just take the cake they really do because you have to remember infantilism is you are making it so that an adult's autonomy is being reduced Mm -hmm. because children they they have less autonomy um depending on whenever you know different countries have like different legal ages um in the u.s it's like 18 to 21 depending on um or technically even 25 because you have to be 25 to rent a car that's ugly um the u.s the u.s doesn't make any sense um you can drive a car at 16 vote at 18 Drink at 21, rent a car at 25. Anyway, <laughs> ignore that. Let's think of uh, Korea, South Korea, 19. Okay, let's use that. So, um, of course, if you're under the age of 19, you are going to have less rights because your parents are still in charge mm-hmm. of you. So, um, it makes no sense for um fans of a group to treat a 25 year old man like he still needs parenting and guidance yes on top of that it makes no sense for fans to treat any idol as somebody who has no control over their career or anything like that because that's like the biggest thing i see when it comes to infantilization of idols like for example like something happens or the idol does something that fans don't like and then they attribute that thing to oh my gosh it's it's like the company's fault when in reality it was the idol who made that decision to do that thing so for example like um an example of this could be um i don't know remember uh it was a few it was a couple months ago basically but basically um there was a bts run episode that came out where bts were uh playing this uh, is this the water the water yes thing? it is the water thing for all, for all who don't know basically the run episode was a 77 minute debate where every 11 minutes they switched out debaters and moderators and basically they had forbidden words um that they weren't allowed to use during the debate as well as forbidden actions so for example like i don't know touching your hair or touching your goggles and stuff but the debaters did not know what those words and actions were so if they used them by mistake during the debate then they got sprayed with water cannons and so basically um there was a a j-hope solo fan base that started tagging big hit talking about how they should cancel uh the episode because it was mentally and emotionally traumatizing for j-hope to get blasted with the water cannon and how dare they make such a dangerous game and it should never happen again and i was like over water are you kidding me i i was really losing my mind because i i feel like 
I feel like BTS were really into this idea because it was basically an upgraded version of the classroom moderation. Right, exactly. The, the classroom one. When they had like that mint chocolate chip ice cream debate and <laughs> they were sick for making Hobie's forbidden action when he laughs. That's just sick. Right. Um, but <laughs> BTS members, y'all, you know, maybe it's good we're not friends with them. They, they'd be... They'd exploit all our weaknesses, um, <laughs> but they they use like a little, a really tiny water gun to like squirt at, and sometimes it would miss. Um, and so I feel like the one, the episode with the water cannons was like an upgraded version of that. Right. And so I'm pretty sure if BTS didn't want to do that run episode then like they wouldn't have like they do have a little bit they have say in like what they want to do right because they like doing run episodes they say because they don't like to go on regular variety and they still want to do things for army so they like doing run yeah and on top of that like there have been like times where like, Hobie has actually opted out of an activity because he didn't want to do it. Like, for example, that one run episode where they were doing that obstacle course on the lake, um, Hobie didn't do that one because he was feeling a bit seasick from being on the boat earlier, so he went to go and rest. And then they were like, yeah, Hobie's not here. He's going to come back later. And, like, that was his decision to say, hey, I'm not comfortable with doing this. I want to go rest. And they let him rest without question. Or that time during the, uh, what was it, Bon Voyage 2, where they were in Hawaii and they were also on a boat. And then BTS went to go eat afterwards, but Hobie didn't join them because he was also feeling, like, nauseous. And so then he was also resting during that time. So there are clearly points in time where BTS have shown that if they're not comfortable with doing something, that they don't have to do it. And so when people try and tag big hits saying that you're uh, uh, exploiting him, you're you're traumatizing him, like you can clearly see he doesn't want to do this. It's like, no, if he didn't want to do it, he wouldn't have been there. That's the end of the question. Like, so people really need to stop acting like BTS don't have the capabilities to let somebody know when they're uncomfortable. And if they do, like end up being uncomfortable and they don't want to do something how do people think that they're going to go to the fans about it first like if they had a problem with something they would go to their company first they would discuss it with them and the issue would be resolved and we probably would never even hear about it yeah like i don't it's 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 always been weird but now they're coming at run episodes i think i think really it had nothing to do with, oh, they're traumatizing Hobie or whatnot. I think it was just another attempt to make it seem like Hobie is the victim and the other BTS members, even though everyone got blasted with water, but anyway, the other BTS members are just treated so much better, like, they're not getting mentally traumatized, because if you actually, like, let's say you were concerned about the well-being of BTS, you want to just point out Hobie. Right. Hobie solo stands you would say oh this seems distressing for all of the members but no you you had to just point out that it was only distressing for Hobie even though in the episode he gave no signs of discomfort 
Right. And the only reason why they always say, oh, it's always so-and-so. It's always this member. It's only this member being retrieved because they're solos. They're not paying attention to the other members anyway. So they're not looking to see that the other members are going through the same stuff that that member is going through. It's like, oh my and gosh. And if they do, they cut it out. Right. They cut it out. They take things out of context because they don't want you to know the full context. But again, that's a different discussion for another day. But that's one example of how fans can infantilize um, idols. Mm -hmm. Another example is when an idol does something problematic, they treat the idol like they don't know any better and that anyone who tries to correct an idol on what they've done wrong gets attacked because they'll apparently hurt that idol's feeling oh my god i uh, this happens a lot when i see someone maybe wants to bring up an incident that happened during like a video fan call um this happened i saw it happen with uh stray kids mm. um I saw it happen with NCT, and, like, I'm not, like, in those fandoms, but, like, I was witnessing it happen in real time, where, um, someone would be like, hey, that thing you did, um, you know, it's, you know, people thought it was, like, racist, or whatever it was they did, um, basically people were hurt by it, and so, just want to let you know that, and they would get jumped they would get so jumped they would be like why would you bring this up during um a time where like they're supposed to be happy blah 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 blah. he he's sensitive you're gonna hurt his feelings and i'm just like i feel like saying hey you did this and it hurt a lot of people is like the nicest way you can possibly put it like how dare you say oh you're gonna hurt the idol's feelings or telling them they did something wrong Right. When you're completely disregarding the thousands or millions of people's feelings that were hurt by what they did. Exactly. It just makes no sense to me. And treating them like they can't take constructive criticism when if anyone is taking constructive criticism 24-7, 365, it is definitely K-pop idols. I mean, like, think about, like, for example, like, BTS. Like, I remember there was this one instance. It wasn't even, like like a like, a controversy or anything. But it was that one clip from, I think it might have been uh, one of the, it might have been like Bring the Soul or Burn the Stage or one of those docuseries. And Are you talking about like the Jin and Tay thing? Oh, it wasn't even like the Jin and Tay thing. It was this one clip where um, they were having a meeting after a concert and um, the staff was oh, giving them constructive yeah. criticism about like, oh yeah, I think maybe you guys were lacking a bit of tension here. I think if you keep the energy up, then it can really like you could really sound better like tomorrow and then like bts were like yeah sure okay like like they were it was literally just a discussion there was no hostility and so people got mad right and i remember that i remember that and people were like i remember oh, there's this one tweet where it's like oh my gosh like all you people wondering why like jungkook doubts himself all the time this is why i'm like this is not why constructive criticism i'm like this is <laughs> i know these people have to be um, I know, I know these people just have to be minors or something, but, like, I don't know, it's crazy, because have you never been, like, given constructive criticism by, like, your parents? Like, I don't, I don't understand how saying, hey, you, for the next show, you might want to tighten up here, 
And they said it, like, in a very nice way. Like, it wasn't even rude. There wasn't any attitude. It was just like, hey, I noticed that this was a little less tight than usual. So keep that in mind for the next performance. Like, that was basically it. Right. And BTS even give themselves constructive criticism, like, in the exact same way. Like, I've heard them, like, when they're discussing performances and where they're discussing things. And it's like, for example, like, they might be, like, re-watching a concert clip and then Hopi is like, oh yeah, Namjoon, like you're a bit too far to the left. You need to come back into the formation a bit earlier here or something like that. Like they'll just be like, just casually talking amongst each other. There's no type of like rudeness. They're not rude to each other at all. Like, so it really baffles me when people get mad at um, people for giving BTS constructive criticism. Cause I remember the same thing happened when um that there was that v live of namjoon and he was talking about euphoria and jungkook solos jumped him because of the criticism that he gave jungkook because he asked jungkook to put a bit more emotion into his voice when singing the song and they were like how dare you criticize jungkook jungkook is perfect he didn't need to improve anything i'm like okay but the version he has where he did put more emotion into his voice is the same version that you people hype up all the time so it's like how are you here are hyping up the final product but you're like trashing on all the constructive criticism that it took to actually get to that final version that doesn't make sense to me it really doesn't i i i'm glad we can just like knock it out now because i don't want to keep having these dumb conversations about um you know bts are being mistreated just because they received uh not even like i don't know it's just basic i'm just speechless because if you imagine if um like that were to happen at like your workplace where um let's say you weren't doing something right at work and then your boss um, said, hey, I need you to, you know, clean up a little bit better here, or be careful with this next time, and then, like, your parent, like, your mom calls your boss, and it's like, how dare you, um, reprimand my child. I know. Like, do you, do you realize how crazy that is? It's like mm-hmm. helicopter parenting, it's awful. And, like, another thing that a lot of fa- I see, it, like, with a lot of fans when it comes to infantilization of idols is the way that some fans treat idols like they can never do anything adults or mature in terms of, like, activities, for example, like, drinking or smoking slash vaping or whatever, or going to a club or even using curse words. Like, to the fans, like, those idols will always just be, like, cute babies, especially if they're the maknae, if they're the youngest of the group a lot of times like these fans will go crazy as if it's like so unheard of for an adult to do adult things yeah it's it's just ridiculous um another way that um the idols get you know infantilized by fans is um so this isn't really like on purpose this is just like a unintentional consequence but language barriers often can create misunderstandings or misinterpretations especially when the translations are being read through a western lens 
and so you might be missing some cultural context and like take things out of context and make it seem um and basically change like the meaning of the translation Mm, that's very interesting i believe you had like an example of i think you were talking about like something from txt's weavers yeah so like every once in a while um i know this happened this happened one time on twitter i think with a twitter translation bamgyu i think had referred to uh fan as baby and everyone was losing their freaking minds and um it had to be clarified that they meant like as in like a literal baby he wasn't using it as like a term of endearment he was saying they were like he was calling them cute like a baby like an actual infant um and then there's also i think other instances where like weaver's translations people i don't know it's happened with bts too i can't think of examples but there are definitely times when um the translator will then have to clarify because people like keep misinterpreting it or taking things out of context and being like i can't believe they would say that like and be all shocked when really they they were making a big deal out of nothing yeah like there's just so many instances of that like and if there's any instances that you guys can think of when this episode drops like we'd love to hear you guys' examples in the replies as well but I think that pretty much concludes this section of infantilization. So I think we can move to the next topic, which is oversexualization. So um, when it comes to how idols are oversexualized by the industry, um, you know, there's a lot of examples of this, such as like, for example, debuting young girls with sexy concepts, which I believe is the most disgusting thing ever. I hate it. Yeah, the uh, incident that, I don't know why I say it's a debut that I thought of was Suzy and Miss A. And everyone, um, if you're a K-pop stan, you know Miss A's debut song, um, Good Girl, Bad Girl. And the song itself isn't that bad, but like the dance is just, Suzy was 15. There was no reason for to have choreography of them spreading their legs when Susie is like 15 that's just unacceptable like it was the, the some of the choreography is just like very very sexual and it's like why you you have a minor like I'm not saying you have to like I'm not saying you have to keep the choreography you know you have to like make the choreography completely kid-friendly or something like that, but you can definitely not make the choreography sexy. Right, and it's like, when it comes to stuff like that, there's a lot of, like, instances of not even just, like, debuting them with, like, sexy concepts, but just, like, putting them in very suggestive clothing as well when they're minors, making them perform, like, with those clothes and with those concepts in front of, like, a lot of, you know, girl groups do have, like, predominantly male audiences, so it's, like, when you're putting these young girls out in front of all these men, like, like, I can't even... Like, just to think about that, it just makes me feel so bad for these girls because they're going to get sexualized so young. And, you know, another thing about this is just like, um, oh, another thing about this is there's a lot of, like, you brought up the term queer baiting earlier, how there's a lot of fan service in variety shows. Um, and 
it just ends up looking very strange in a lot of aspects. Yeah, so a really common one that happens on variety shows is, like, the paper passing game, where, like, they have to pass a piece of paper with each other um, with your mouth. And it's funny, because I remember BTS were actually going to do it. Um, they were asked to, and Yoongi was the first one in the line, and you could tell he definitely dropped that paper on purpose so they didn't have to do it. <laughs> yeah, like, he, like, had the paper, like, on his mouth, like, and then he just, like, fake coughed. Like, it was such a fake cough, and then the paper just fell, and he was like, oh, do we lose? And I was like, he really did not want to <laughs> do this. Honestly love him for that i don't know it's so weird like you why are you wanting why are we wanting to see you know k-pop idols look like they're making out with each other when uh korea said we hate gay rights (laughs) right it's like it's just very disturbing to see so many people like fan over um these types of moments meanwhile people who are actually queer people who are actually gay or lesbian or anything else within the lgbtq plus community um they their existence is basically like people basically just hate them in Korea. Um, So I'm not saying everybody, but like when it comes to Korea, they're a very conservative country. And so coming out and being openly, you know, part of the LGBTQ plus community is very dangerous in a conservative country like that. I mean, it's the same with like uh, parts of America, for example, like the South of America, it is extremely difficult to be a part of the LGBTQ plus community and just live amongst everyone else openly because just a lot of people down South have very conservative values. And so you're risking a lot of your safety and your comfort um, having to come out in an environment like that. So it's just crazy to me how people will literally, you know, just gawk over people who are basically making out and they're not even they're not even like gay they're not even lesbian they're just doing it because they have to and it's like that sucks and like of course the thing is because of korea's you know conservative society it's very rare that you're actually going to have um a k-pop idol like come out as part of the community especially if they are a high profile um idol i mean i know there's like a few um but like they've kind of they really aren't in the public eye as much anymore um and of course lgbt k-pop idols 100 percent are there and probably there's probably so many um because it's just statistically impossible that every single k-pop idol is going to be straight like there's hundreds of Mm. them come on um and so i wonder like how uncomfortable it must be if you are actually lgbt and you have to like fake uh being gay for views while um while like you yourself could never be able to like express that openly outside of like a variety game show yeah so it really just i can only imagine like the mental health of like anybody within that community who is a k-pop idol like it must be so hard having to go through that 
and you know a lot of people will like enjoy seeing you quote like you said quote unquote pretend to be gay for views but then like when you're actually like gay they're like nah like that's crazy to me yeah it's like and i mean this is like something that like the k-pop industry like they like variety shows and stuff like they like to have those segments and stuff this is like separate from um like doing like a group maybe like doing a concept that has queer themes in it um i feel like that that's not really the same thing which is when like people misuse queer bait this is like people using um queer imagery specifically um for entertainment and that's mm, doesn't make us feel good right definitely and another example of how idols are sexualized is um, overtly sexual concepts for shock value at the expense of idols' comfort. Uh, yeah, an example I have of this is Stellar. Uh, so, like, songs like Sting and Vibrato. You can go see them on... You can go, like, search those music videos on YouTube. And it wasn't until after Stellar disbanded, I think, that they talked openly about how like how sexualized they were like because during the music video filming like what they did in the music video they for the music video i mean like during the shooting they had no idea it was going to look that sexual until like the music video actually came out because one of the things it would be like them like sitting in a milk bath but then like the camera would be like zoomed in on their breasts with like milk dripping down um, and they wouldn't know that until, like, the music video came out. So, like, they were unaware of, like, how they were being filmed. Um, and I don't know, it's just really a shame, too, especially because some of Stellar's uh, music videos, I feel like they, the MV director kind of wanted to make it seem like it was, like, a social commentary on sexualization, when in reality, they were just exploiting Stellar. I'm pretty sure Stellar is also um, the the group who has like their music, the album cover. They are literally naked. Like I don't think they have any um, underwear on, or they're only in underwear. Let me see. Um, let me check. I don't, that's, that's, um, a clear example at the top of my head, um, I don't know if you have, know of any, like, super sexual concepts. Um, I don't know about concept per se, but all I can think of right now is that one video of, <laughs> of the shiny members that, like, was from, like, a couple months ago of them, like, the camera is, like, under the floor, and then it's, like, a glass flooring, and then it's just, like, them kind of, like, they're basically just like dry humping the floor. Oh, why did they do that? Why did they do that? I love shiny, but like I, uh, I hated that so much. Oh I goodness. looked at that video and I was like, "Wow, oh, what? Here. What is? What is this?" <laughs> I I found it, um, Daisy. I'm going to send you the photo in our Skype chat, and then. Like I said, eventually, when we do have video transcripts up, whenever we mention an image or something 
um, in this podcast. When we do a physical written transcript, we'll include the images for you guys. Um, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. I literally have no words for that. It's like they're literally like wearing strings under those dresses. Like, I don't, I'm not even sure if the strings are part of, like, their underwear or if it's part of the dress. So, it's, like, if they're really not wearing underwear, like, right? under those dresses, like, oh, my gosh. Oh, no. It's, it's, it's really, it's, um, yeah, it's something. There is also another music video, I think, with, um, do they also do Marinette? Let me see. Um, I actually have a quote from um, A Reason for Their Drastic Change in Concept by one of the Stellar members. Um, this is from member Gai Young. She said, when we first debuted, we were closer to a cute concept. There were things like aliens, but it was a cute concept that fit our age range well. We were able to get a lot of attention at first because we were the group produced by Shinwa's Eric. We released about three albums, but they weren't good results, so the company was in a difficult situation. Eric eventually left, and there was a time when it was just the CEO and our manager. We didn't even have the financial freedom to go sit at a cafe. We'd get so embarrassed in the van of another celebrity would pass us by. We used to hide our faces. Oh, wow. Um, because they're changing concept, including the incre- incredibly provocative music video, Stellar was finally a huge hit. But Gaiyang revealed that the agency had tricked them into filming the provocative scenes, never fully conveying what the intentions were to the group during the filming. There was one scene where a member had to drink milk, and the script said, Missing your past, lover, tossing and turning in bed, wake up and drink milk. We simply thought they wanted her to drink milk to portray a morning scene. The member drank the milk for the scene, but they apparently told her, Spill the milk while drinking. And she thought that that she was spilling it to show that the character had no strength. But we were shocked when we read comments that said, This scene can make you imagine a certain act. The member who filmed it was only 20 years old at the time. And she was so shocked that she can't drink white milk to this day. Oh my gosh. What the heck? I'm pretty sure that was for the Marinette video. Um, And I will show you... um, Oh my goodness, I can't... Let me see if I can open this in a new tab. There we go. Okay, so I'm going to send you this link of the image. And you can see how provocative it is. Okay, let me see this here. Oh! No, ma'am. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Mm-hmm. How could they? Isn't that sick? That is sick. It's disgusting. No. The members of Stellar didn't approve of the sexy concept pushed onto them by their agency, and they did try other concepts. Their 2016 release Sting had more of a girlfriend concept. Uh, they explained, we wanted to look more like a girlfriend rather than to look provocative. Unfortunately, all other concepts they attempted to met the same fate as their pre-Marinette era concepts, which is to say they didn't do well. As a result, their agency maintained control over their image. Whenever the members tried to stand up for themselves, their agency would threaten them with penalty fees. Penalty fees? Is that even legal? During Vibrato, they all of a sudden told us that day to dance in the outfits. Um, 
We told them we can't dance in these. They responded, just try it. Why do you say no before even trying it? We shot the f about five photos with it and told them, look, it's too much. They seemed to agree and told us to change, but the photos were still released. When we saw these photos, we called them to argue, and they brushed it aside saying, oh, you didn't know. Sorry, we won't do it again. But the photos were already released, so there was nothing we can do. I think they knew the members were too kind and soft. That is so sad. Mm-hmm. It's really, I don't know, like, Stellar's whole career is just so sad. I feel so bad for them. Right, and the fact that all this was going on, like, without their consent, and, like, it's traumatized some of the members, like, this is, mm -hmm. like, this is why, like, over-sexualization can be such a huge problem within the industry, and... But yeah, that concludes the part about the industry. So I think now we can segue into how fans um, can over-sexualize idols within the industry. And I think uh, one example we can talk about is how um, basically since sexy concepts are common, uh, you know, there are some fans who will expect every group to try the concept at least once, regardless of whether the group wants to or not. And um, I know that when it comes to like BTS and like even TXT, like they've had some comments. I remember TXT like very blatantly said they're like, we're not doing sexual, con like we're not doing sexy concepts right now because like half our group is like minors, like what the heck? And the fact that people were even asking that of them, like that's disturbing. Right. Um, another, I, I need people to leave my and hyping children alone. Especially Nikki, you sick beings. Nikki is 15 years old. Stop talking about how your grown ass is going to wait for him or something when he turns legal age. Like, that man is a child. I am 22. And literally anyone that is like even age 18 i see as a child i i genuinely don't understand how you can have these feelings toward minors right like that was even like another example like the fact that some adult fans do sexualize idols are who are still minors and then wait for those idols to become adults to sexualize them that they do because like that is extremely extremely predatory the fact that you wait for them means that you were already sexualizing them beforehand and like not even like not even exactly. like within the k-pop industry that's not that's not even like a k-pop industry that's literally everywhere like when people were counting down Billie eilish to turn 18 and then as soon as she turned 18 they were like all they were just were, people were saying the most degrading things about her like as soon as it was her birthday also like another example i can think about is bad baby when she turned 18 because like when she was talking about like i think it was like on twitter or instagram something that she posted but she was like oh because y'all were asking me like i made an only fans and i'm like you were asking her before she turned 18 to make an only fans where she would be posting sexual content that is trash exactly like how disturbing it's just it's truly a mess um and then i also a lot of people had concerns about that because since she had released like she released a trailer for her only fans and it's like um when was the stuff in that trailer filmed right because she had like just turned 18 so what if the stuff in her only fans trailer she was 17 so like that's 
technically child pornography exactly like it it just really disturbs my soul and like you know to bring it back to like the idol industry i remember something that people always talk about in regards to bts is like for example it used to be like a running gag in bts that uh people used to say that jungkook hated girls calling him oppa when that wasn't entirely true he only hates people who call him oppa when they're clearly older than him so for all you who are new to bts or to k-pop in general oppa is the korean word for uh older brother and you don't just use it with like your biological older brother but to uh, boys who are older than you that you have a close relationship with um to an extent obviously like once you get to like really old like like they could be your father then you would start using different honorifics but for like uh uh, you know for boys who are older than you you would genuinely use oppa and so there were people who while jungkook was a minor like they were calling him oppa but they were like clearly older than him and so he had a problem with that and so you know he would say stuff at like fan meetings like oh if you're calling me oppa i'm gonna check your id and it's like even though like people were taking it as a joke he seemed like he was also like half serious yeah i i don't know why that keeps getting misconstrued that jungkook Oh, Jungkook hates being called Opa. Like, no one would hate, no one in South Korea would hate being called that because it's literally just a term that means older brother. Like, it's a very harmless term. Um, but if you are using it, um, with a child that's younger than you then like yeah that's weird and creepy um of course he was uncomfortable with it yeah because doing stuff like that like i kind of put that in the realm of like kind of kinks like you have a thing for calling younger boys like opa like that's really like telling it's really weird um and i guess i can see maybe why um that fact gets misconstrued a lot because um, you don't normally hear, um, you know, women use the term Opa a lot in the K-pop world because women, you know, they're in girl groups, so they're gonna, you know, call their members uni, like, they're not gonna, you rarely hear them say Opa, same thing with boy groups, since they're always around other boys, they're gonna use Hyung or something, um, so, like, the only instance, like, I hear, um, men being called Opa a lot is because I like CARD, and CARD is a co-ed group, and Jiwoo and Soman, the women of the group, are younger than Matthew and Jaseph, the men of the group, so they always say, oh, Jaseph Opa, or Matthew Opa, um, because they're older, and they're close friends because they're in the same group, so, like, I'm used to hearing that, and don't think anything of it but maybe for people that are disconnected due to the language barrier and people who don't hear that as often maybe it's easier to mistake um opa as being anything more than just a simple honorific right so it is like when people who are older try and use it don't use the proper honorific so for example um if you were speak to jungkook in korean and you're older than him then probably a better term if you want to be polite would be jungkook she because you use she with people you're not overly familiar with or if you're familiar with jungkook then you hear the members for example they call him jungkooka 
like you use the ah honorific at the well technically it's not honorific it's more of just like casual kind of speaking because they're older than him um so something like that would be if you were older than him that's what you would normally hear um but opa is only for girls who are younger do not use it if you're older than any of the members because that is weird and it shows me that you have a weird thing for doing that so yeah no don't do that exactly um another let me see I lost where we were on our page. Ah, um, if an idol doesn't show skin as often as some fans expect them to, then they are seen as too modest in that their company is infantilizing them. Um, this happens uh, with BTS every once in a while, and it's like those weird mantis that... It's funny because by saying, oh, you know, BTS isn't doing enough sexy concepts, um, Big Kiss infantilizing them, that in itself is infantilization um because you are basically saying that bts um don't have autonomy over their bodies um but at the same but it's also over sexualization at the same time because you are wanting them to you know be portrayed as sexy for your entertainment right and a lot of people who tend to do this are people who token stand wings a lot i see this as a trend all the time if you <laughs> wings isn't even that sexy of a concept it doesn't i don't get it's just it because it's so sensual because obviously like the whole concept of wings was falling into temptation so obviously like you would end up having some sensuality mixed in there but overall it's not like bts was like necessarily stripping on stage like the most like obviously like they had for example um deep cut shirts like for example like the v-neck would be like a bit lower or maybe you know that jimin's iconic quote-unquote accident where like he flips his jacket while he's dancing but like it's not like it was anything like super hardcore so the way that people like talk about it also okay maybe it might have been just the choreography because there were some parts in the choreography that were like very sensual but like at the same time it's like okay yes that was wings but you like we've moved on from wings like there are other concepts it's it's been five years it has been five, oh five my god that's crazy years. five years since wings has happened and people are still, still stuck waiting? on it oh my god like, no also what is not sexy about bts in a nice fitted suit with their hair slicked back like how is that Period. not sexy enough for you like butter has just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm, it, it really it really gives that it, hit different. <laughs> it hits different like people that's a thing like so many people like have this idea that the the only way to be sexy is to just not wear clothes to just strip and there are so many different brands of sexiness that i feel people do not acknowledge enough there are perfect there, there are like perfectly fine ways of being sexy and it doesn't involve you taking your clothes off. There are so many ways to do that. BTS has shown us that. And, you know, we can clearly see, like, that when it comes to them and when they want to be sexy, they have control over that. So if they're not feeling like being sexy, then they won't. That's it. It's so, um, I don't know. It's really interesting because there are lots of other groups that are that do uh feel comfortable you know stripping and 
showing skin and like that's their choice and that's fine for them like cool they do them um but like why not go and stand those groups instead of waiting for bts to do it because bts aren't ever gonna do it because samantha from ohio asked them to right like i've seen so many it's always on tiktok as well for some reason i feel like oh my god what is wrong like people are like i used to be a bts stan but like they just weren't sexy enough for me so like now i stay on nct and i'm like nct doesn't want you either okay no right. one wants your weird ass okay <laughs> unstand it's... all of these people <laughs> Right, like, all this jumping from, like, group to group solely because you have uncontrollable, unstable hormones is so weird to me. I mean, if that's what you want to do, you do you, but stop coming at people in, you know, certain groups for not giving you what you want, because that's just not cool either. Like, when it comes to all these sexy, like, concepts that people want from BTS, like, again, like, I've seen all these TikToks, and, like, people complain that, like, Big Kid is making BTS too, quote-unquote, PG, that they're being targeted towards the kiddies, and so they aren't as sexy as, like, people feel that they should be. And it's like, what business is it to you? What what makes them, I don't understand, like, what, how is that being, I don't, I've said it before, but, like, adulthood being associated with um, sex is just weird. Um, There are so many other, like, that's not the only thing that makes someone an adult. And there was really nothing to me in Butter or Dynamite, or B album promotions that made me think, hmm, this is for children. Right. You know what's for children? Chewing Gum by NCT Dream. <laughs> exactly. Like, when it comes to the type of concepts that BTS have, just because they're not taking their clothes off does not suddenly mean that it's for kids. So many concepts I can think of that they've done over the years after Wings are so mature and profound and introspective. Things that, like, children will literally not take the time to dissect and analyze because they're children. Um, So when people talk about how they're not being mature enough for them, it's like, where have you been their entire eight-year career? It's ridiculous to me. Yeah, at this, I... If you are waiting for BTS um, to, like, strip... um, you're gonna keep waiting for a very long time and just unstand go away and if tomorrow they do strip um it's too late you're not allowed back in the fandom yeah don't come back don't come back we don't want (laughs) you you've been locked out (laughs) you lost your chance the purple doors are closed you can see your way out now (laughs) but anyway the next example um that we have um when it comes to this topic of infantilization is um we, there's this um, kind of thing where it's like there's an overcompensation, um, especially in Western media and politics that have basically, um, you know, framed Asian men as undesirable and then overcompensating for that, like, is fans when people call idols cute. Like, for example, like, we gave this example, like, when we were doing the Army Anonymous segment a few days ago. And by a few days ago, I mean, like, today is, like, June 8th. But um, we're basically... <laughs> when people call any idol cute especially if they're from a boy group 
then people are like, oh my gosh, like, how can you possibly infantilize them like this? Would you this? do this to Drake? <laughs> Would you do that? I hate that. Like, <laughs> But the thing is, people do. Like, I, the amount of, like, cute edits I've seen next to, like, Ed Sheeran's face. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that there was this whole thing where, like, because of how many people were accusing, were falsely accusing armies of, like, infantilization, like somebody was like quick put an artist's name into the search engine with the word cute and see what comes up and like there were so many results for like all these different western artists and like cute edits i'm pretty of them. sure there was like there was like a bad bunny heart and sparkle edit or something right. and someone was like he's so cute there's bad bunny cute ed sheeran cute i remember i did it i found michael jackson cute like there's so many different examples and so i hate it when people act like we can't call people cute because calling people cute does not mean infantilization it just means that we find them cute and people overcompensate for that he's not cute he is busy um getting some getting some he, he he's having sex with the women right at this moment as you're calling him cute he he's laying down some serious pipe <laughs> <laughs> that's what they say that's what they say and i'm like gosh maybe he's doing his taxes maybe he's reading over that you know contract that y'all are so obsessed with right like why adult why do maybe he's taking a nap right like a lot of people don't realize how much us adults sleep that is also part of adulthood why does it have to be about sex why is it that whenever i call any bts member cute somebody has to be up in my quotes like the purple police talking about how dare you he's literally railing 20 women as we speak and it's like leave me alone god like it's so crazy like it's it's really weird like you're obsessed like the obsession with oh bts are having a lot of sex right now like it's it's weird right like why are you why are you making up so many narratives about someone's sex life it's weird yeah and i feel like that overcompensation does have something to do with the way that you know asian men are constantly portrayed as um undesirable because people used to infantilize them well not even used to they still do and like it's still a huge problem Mm -hmm. so that's where the overcompensation comes from where people want to stray away from that and distance themselves as far from that as possible to the point where like any minor thing like calling somebody cute will set them off so yeah Mm -hmm. i found um another interesting article today that kind of like goes into like the history of you know asian men in western society and how they're perceived as they went from being perceived you know as these undesirable beings to now being like the hot token of like the boyfriend world or whatever um and the article that i have is a publication by chong suk han and he has a doctorate in social welfare from the university of washington and the school of social work and he is currently a lecturer in sociology at temple university and um this article is titled um, let me get the full title. It's kind of long, so I shortened it, but the full title is Being an Oriental, I Could Never Be Completely a Man, colon, Gay Asian Men in the Intersection of Race, Gender, Sexuality, and Class. Um, 
And this article, I guess my school pulled it from the University of Southern New Orleans database. And it is really interesting. It goes into the history of, like, why, ex why exactly, first of all, Asian men are historically perceived as these sexless beings. And Chongsa Khan, he says, the gendering of Asian men has a long history in Western narratives. Um, he quotes um, discussions from Joseph Boone saying, early European writings about the quote-unquote Orient were filled with the sexual politics of colonization that marked quote-unquote oriental men as feminine while at the same time constructing European men as masculine. As such, the gendering of oriental men was used to disguise western homoerotic desires within the conf confines of occidental heterosexuality. So basically, if the desired male body, the oriental male body, was not really a male body, so if Asian men are desirable, um, but it's because they are actually more closer to, you know, a feminine body, then the homoerotic desires of Western travelers were not really homosexual. So basically, Western Europeans were like, Asian men are attractive, but that's gay, so I must find them attractive because they're women. Man, that is honestly insane. And first of all, before I even continue, if any of you just heard screaming right now, I'm so sorry. There are cicadas outside of my window. So like there's just one on my window and just started screaming. So I'm sorry if you heard that in my audio. <laughs> second of all, <laughs> second no. of all, yeah, when it comes to things like this, I really just want to, I don't know. I'm just so speechless of the fact that you know, white men went through all these gymnastics to feminize Asian men just to hide their own gayness. Like, that is so... <laughs> <laughs> like, what the heck? That's that's so... <laughs> that's so trash. Oh, my God. Oh, um, and so <laughs> the article, um, he continues. And so why are Asian men portrayed as sexless in Western media? Um, this is to do probably a lot with immigrant and racial policies that heavily contributed to this. So, Asian exclusion law, starting with the Page Act of 1875. And for those of you who don't know what the Page Act was, basically, um, the U.S. government felt that the United States was being filled with too many prostitutes from East Asia. So the Page Act banned Chinese and other East Asian women from immigrating to the United States because they saw them as prostitutes. That is... Yep, you heard that, that right? That is awful. <laughs> and then, of course, this was um, then further extended to Chinese men with the 1882 Chinese Exclusion Act, um, which is, you know, usually um, more taught... And the Chinese Exclusion, Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 is basically like, hey, there's too many Chinese immigrants. Um, we don't want to be overrun, so let's cut it down. Even though the U.S. government is the one that invited Chinese immigrants in the first... You know what? Never mind. The U.S. <laughs> is whack. Literally. <laughs> um, and keep in mind that the Chinese Exclusion Act um, was not repealed until 1944. Like, let that sink in. 
so over 50 years, um, Chinese immigration was severely cut down. And so when you keep in mind that Asian women were, um, Asian women were not able to immigrate even before Ch Asian men, plus the addition of, you know, laws against interracial marriage, um, it led to the creation of a bachelor society among early Chinese male immigrants. And because labor laws relegated Asian men to feminine occupations, such as laundry workers, um, domestic helpers, and cooks in a largely male-dominated West Coast, um, not being able to vote, work in masculine occupations, and marry contributed, contributed to this formation of a gendered Asian male in the white imagination. Mic drop. So, so white men in the United States basically manufactured the uh, sexless feminine Asian male. Right? It was entirely their doing because for some reason when it comes to every problem that we face in this world, it always circles back to the cisgender heterosexual white man. Always. Uh, right? Always. Like, God, the, the amount of issues that would have never happened if society was not so afraid of people of color and queer people. But anyway, um, that's the historical context that um, the article uh, goes into that has helped craft this narrative of Asians through a, the Western lens. And so now um, the article goes into Asian men in the mind of women. So like how Asian men recently have been seen as more desirable. And interesting enough, the article uh, quotes a, I believe, 2000 News Weekly article. Let me try and scroll and try and find it. Um, and basically, in that article, it crafted Asian men as being an other option in like a dating pool that was seen as mutually exclusive from Americans so um when looking for you know Asian men even though you can be Asian American they were seen as like the opposite of you know the typical American man and so by crafting this opposite narrative um to make them seem i guess so like women find them desirable i guess because they were just different from the typical white american which is pretty messed up because basically they're saying a they are not american b they're exotic c they um they are also the opposite of the typical male characteristics so basically um, women, um, like Asian men because they're more like women, which is, like, incorrect, right. right? Um, so I found it. So here it is. In a Newsweek article written by Esther Pan called Why Asian Guys Are on a Roll, Pan begins by telling us the story of Lisa Rosevere, who, after getting divorced from an all-American guy, was ready for something new. Rosevere came up with a list of what she wanted in a man, smart, genuine, respectful, and adding it up, it occurred to her that guys who fit the bill were Asian, a group she never considered romantically before. 
Um, and so by the this author, Esther Pan, in this article, it's clear that by painting Asian separate from all American, that basically one cannot be both Asian and all American. And so by labeling Rosevere's ex-husband as all-American, Pan finds no need to elaborate on what it means to be all-American. Rather, it is assumed that the reader has an intimate understanding of who belongs in that category. Yeah, all of this is just messed up. White men. It's very messed up. Um, and so, basically, as such, all-American is normalized, while Asian is the problematized category that has to be explained and compared to the all-American norm. And pointing out that Rosevere wanted something different, Pan places Asian men outside of that right. norm. So, yeah. Gross, right? Um, and so, in the article, uh, not the Newsweek article, but, like, the academic article, um, it also talks about how if white women are now dating Asian men then traditionally negative stereotypes of Asian males, such as being smart, studious, and hardworking, are now becoming positive. But as such, it's not that the stereotypes are being proved to be false, but rather these things, by extension, must be positive. Because if women are finding Asian men attractive, then these things have to be true. So, like, Asian men must be smart and studious and hardworking, um, because why else would women be attracted to them? So, basically, Asian men are an alternative to the masculine and patriarchal white male precisely because Asian men are not masculine and patriarchal, at least according to a Western mindset. So, basically, what does this boil down to? Racist stereotypes and exoticism. Exactly. Could not have been said any better than that. And that's honestly just... And I... Go ahead. I, I know, like, it was it was kind of, like, a long, um, the art, the whole academic article is, like, 17 pages, um, but I summarized, like, the main points, I guess, to, that I felt fit best with maybe, like, the K-pop stands mindset. Like, maybe if you are, you know, white living in the U.S., you don't have that much understanding of east asian cultures so you're gonna so you have this you know false perception of what it means to be an east asian male yeah and i feel like it is always good to um question the types of biases that you might have especially coming into um the k-pop sphere i know a lot of people for some reason think that they are suddenly experts on asian culture simply by listening to a few k-pop groups when that is not the case you know regardless of what community we jump into our biases and our stereotypes come with us so this is why a lot of times when people say for example you can't claim that you're not racist because you're friends with a person of color because just because you're friends with a person of color doesn't mean you still don't hold them to the same stereotypes that you would have held if to people who aren't your friend who are also people of color so it's like just be careful. Um, make sure you study up on these things. It's always important to look for this type of information so you can understand why things like infantilization and sexualization are a problem. There's always some type of deeply rooted issue that came from uh, way back when. There's always historical context for everything like this. I like some of these um, 
because the academic article includes like publications of um, letters regarding um, you know white women and how they view like their Asian boyfriends and oh my god is it terrible um, so this one this white woman posted about her Asian boyfriend this is from the 2000s by the way it says I have found that many Asian men possess the combination of old-fashioned values and new-age insights that many women desire Asian men are the best kept secret around. This is so... Um, <laughs> Yo. <laughs> uh, this white woman wrote in the Seattle Times, I've always preferred Asian males. In high school, I was even made an honorary Asian and bought a jacket to match my friends. My Asian friends, they have Asian fever. I really like the way most Asian guys treat me. They're polite highly intelligent funny and they have excellent taste in clothing music hairstyles and cars many asian guys have great respect for their family and native country i don't like asian guys who are too american guys who deny their culture that <sighs> so if you are basic so see they like the exotic part about being asian if you are too quote-unquote american then you are not attractive anymore. Right. So they basically, like, that is a clear example of exoticism and fetishization of Asian culture um, because they're willing to go out of their way to find somebody who's more, quote unquote, different to them. Meanwhile, the Asian diaspora is not even given a chance. Exactly. Um, this, this, this is just, okay, this is so racist. Like, I can't believe, I know it's the 2000s, but God, how do you... How can you say this out loud and, like, not side-eye yourself? They say, this white woman wrote, I found the perfect male, a man my father would like, from a respectable family with a good work ethic who still believed in monogamy. Let's just say that Asian men make love even better than they make television sets. Oh, no, why? This person's not seeing the pearly gates of heaven. They're going mm -mm, to hell for that. They are not the pearly gates are going to say access denied and then of course and then of course this is i feel like this is you know once again the whole um basically asian men are just basically seen as an alternative to a masculine all-american boy because they keep saying that i like their culture i like that they are you know slightly feminine but like i don't know what makes like asian men more feminine like by existing and i know there's like feminine traits like you can say some asian men are feminine because they maybe wear makeup or something but like asian men i feel like as a whole you can't list them as quote-unquote feminine you know what i mean right it's just this you know again they're trying to separate them from uh the typical american or western man by you know saying how they're different from the overly masculine basically you know their example does by d uh for by emasculating them and i really do think that when it comes to things like that what a lot of people don't understand is that there's not one like set expression of masculinity multiple different cultures right. around the world have their own 
have their own views of what masculinity is. And by saying that Asians are quote unquote not masculine, um, it's like you're you're viewing them through a Western lens. So already you're it's like it's already ethnocentric because like for a lot of Asian men, that brand of masculinity that they have it's it's like their own brand like they don't see that as feminine to them that might be their version of masculinity but for western people they see that as femininity because they have their own brand of masculinity but like you might go to a country like for example i don't know there's like loads of different tribes in nigeria and in nigeria you know there are a lot of different ways in which men dress which like where men express themselves and i feel like you know to be able to just boil masculinity down to the dumbest things like having a beard uh having muscles uh fighting with other men like this is this is what our masculinity is now no it can be so much more than this and i feel like these brands of not even just regular masculinity but toxic masculinity is what is killing us over here it's funny because like it even says um like in this article like this woman as she's describing like asian male features she basically says that they are the opposite of um white and the opposite of dominant um so portraying asian men as exotic and quote-unquote submissive because she says I'm a short white woman and I actually like to be with men who are closer to my height. I've dated several men of color, all colors, and <laughs> okay, okay, Oof. okay, miss, um, and have found, their, have found their semi-outsider status to provide some welcome relief from white male dominance. <sighs> like, it's just, honestly, I, I feel so bad for the Asian community, like all parts of it, because I know they're tired. I know they're tired of all of this. And, like, we we could see, like, I mean, these quotes are from, like, the 2000s, but, like, they're still relevant today. And another, I feel like, really modern example we can use is Asian men on TikTok. Mm-hmm. They have found their audience. Um, the way, um, you know, some of them, they try to get clicks and views by fetishizing themselves and it's so cringy like no one stop lying no one says you look like jungkook okay <laughs> stop it <laughs> exactly the first night i thought of no so one many said TikToks. that i see so many tiktoks of like these people are like oh my gosh i look like jungkook from bts right i'm like no no sweetie no you don't and it's no, like not don't. only is it Please. like you're fetishizing yourself but you're kind of helping to reinforce the stereotypes that asians all look the same but like luckily more um male asian creators are kind of calling this out which i think is good yeah they're basically calling them pick me asians and you know what i honestly see because like even for for example like black people we have our own version of pick me's people who fetishize themselves and it's like yeah we need to just work harder to call those types of people out because they're harming our communities it's it's getting it's just so messy but also at the same time i feel like the only reason we have to do that is to prove that we you know are just as desirable as you know a white european right and i feel like you can prove that you're 
I feel like you can prove that you're desirable, but you don't have to throw away like your entire identity and completely change who you are just to cater to that specific demographic. I mean, if people don't appreciate you or your brand of masculinity the way it is, then that's a problem with them, not with you. And I feel like a lot of people just haven't realized that yet. Yep. And I'm not going to go into the rest of this article because the rest of this article talks about um, queer identity and like queer Asians and how a lot of them are reduced to stereotypes and certain positions within the gay community. And so um, eventually this PDF, I will also download it and make it available um, for you guys to read. So like if you're interested in that part of the article, um, I think it's a really great read as well. But um, in regards to um, how the Asian men have been constructed um, by Western, by like Western ideals, um, that concludes that part. Right. So we're going to move on to the next section, which we're basically just going to talk about the consequences of infantilization and over-sexualization of idols, whether that's by the industry, by fans, what have you. So, you know, big consequence of infantilization, I think, um, when it comes to Asian women, uh, Western media often depict them as the stereotype of being docile and delicate and therefore all these implicit biases may lead fans to unintentionally infantilizing female idols. And, you know, like you said, when it came to um, the jobs that a lot of Asian men were forced to take up um, back when, you know, there weren't that many jobs that they could have, um, I feel like to an extent, a lot of Asian men are seen as, you know, more submissive and just more, I guess, docile in that regard, especially when it comes to um, the respect culture, I feel like a lot of that plays in part to like Western media's view of Asian people. How obviously because, for example, like with Korea or with Japan, you can see that they definitely have a culture of respect and they're not the type of people to um, violently lash out at someone like that. Like not everybody's like that. So, for example, even if like somebody was not happy with you or displeased with you, like, I feel like a lot of people take advantage of the respect that they show people and treat it as submissiveness. Because what I can think of right now, um, off the top of my head, were those vlogs of, um, what's his face, uh, Logan Paul in Japan. Do you Have you seen those? Yep. Yeah, so for all who don't know what I'm talking about, basically Logan Paul is a vlogger and he went to Japan, I think it was either 2019, 2018 or what have you. But basically, he was going on and on about how Japan was all about respect. And then, like, in his, like, entire vlog series in Japan, he basically um, walked all over them. He was being rude, obnoxious, and disrespectful. Basically, like, a public nuisance um, for his vlogs. And it would literally be so bad to the point where, like, for example, he went to a temple and he was being, like, really loud and just running all over the place and being disrespectful while people were trying to pray and like they got kicked out of that place or for example like he dressed up in like a pikachu onesie and then took like a pokemon a pokeball plush toy and was just starting to like throw it at people to pretend to catch them like pokemon i remember he he ran in 
like he ran in front of a car and he threw the pokeball at the car and it's like this person is just trying to get to work or something and you're here with your stupid pikachu onesie trying to catch him like a pokemon why like it's not that japanese people can be easily walked over logan paul it's just that they usually keep to themselves and mind their business they hate you they're in their minds they want you deported but because everyone is busy everyone's trying to get to work everyone's trying to do their work um and because of the language barrier they don't have the time of day to tell you off right and like i remember there were so many people like who dragged him to through the dirt for his videos i remember like there were some really famous japanese um youtubers who were talking about all the problems that they had with like him and his perception of their culture and how he used that to take advantage of their respect um so he could just do whatever the hell he wanted and i feel like it's just things like that because of the fact that people treat asians as docile and delicate it just leads to them um you know infantizing them and treating them as like people who don't really speak up when they're uncomfortable and um you know when it comes to fans as well with how the industry basically infantizes them um that is also a huge problem because it just i feel like because when it comes to the infantilization of asian people that's again why they have such a hard time finding romantic partners especially when they're in the u.s or somewhere like that because they've just always been seen as undesirable they've always been outside of the norm so when people um are looking for a romantic partner for some reason asians are always just left out of the discussion and i remember bringing up this topic in a different episode i don't remember which one but there i was talking about how there was a video i had watched um and it was this one about um asians and like the exclusion of them when it comes to discussing anything when it comes to like things like romance and stuff like that and it was by this uh youtuber named pierre xo and I'm still going to recommend that video because it is very relevant to this video. Sorry, did I say video? I meant podcast yeah. episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 get, I got what you meant. Um, yeah, that'll be... Um, you have to send me the link to that too so that I can I can watch it. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting because there's, it seems to be there's no middle ground. It's either Asian men are completely undesirable or Asian men are desirable when people are exhausted of other options. Right. And then also because of infantilization and people seeing them as children, um, that's why when people actually do find them attractive, sometimes people can accuse those people of over-sexualization because they have it in their head that Asians are just not supposed to be sexualized because I've seen this um, from time to time on K-pop mm -hmm. Twitter where somebody will call a member hot and you know it's the same way that they would call anybody else who was not Asian hot and for some reason that person is being accused of over sexualization and that they should delete their tweet and it's like all because that they said Namjoon was hot like I don't see the problem here like it just really goes to show you like the type of ideas that they have in their head and they're project they're projecting that onto other people mm -hmm. it happens even like with non-k-pop idols it could just be like an asian person 
that someone finds attractive and it's oh you like them because they're asian right like, people what? automatically where, go where towards fetishization they... like why can't i just not find this asian person hot right it's like it's getting weird because it it seems people don't understand that they're just reinforcing the idea that asian men like they're reinforcing the whole undesirable thing by overcompensating right and then on top of that i remember like people like there are a lot of people who will say this like when they start to become a fan of bts or really just any k-pop group in general like suddenly like their entire like family and friend circles like oh so you like asians now and it's like no oh my gosh yes my mom listen my mom was she was like convinced i was going to marry an asian man and i was like why and she's like well because you know you like anime and like listen to k-pop and i'm like okay i've had family members um, tell me the same exact thing it is so annoying and it's like it's no. so annoying it's like that's not how that works um it, just, it may okay when you are in you know when you have something like the k-pop industry like you kind of most of the time being attractive is like a requirement like it's that's like for all famous people asian or not like you have to be somewhat attractive to be um famous so of course people are going to find k-pop idols attractive they they specifically target attractive people to be them right and so it really frustrates me when people do stuff like this where for example if i because i've had you know a couple of friends say oh like oh i'm sure that like because i remember i was telling you i think it might have been on like the group chat where basically um i was with some friends and then like we were talking about like our preferences like romantically and then it got to me and it was my turn to speak and then like one of my friends was like oh like let me guess like you're probably gonna say like asian right and i was like why would you think that i wasn't gonna mention a race at all and then i was like well why would you think that and it's like oh because you know you like bts and all that and it's like the fact that people think that i can only enjoy bts because of the fact that they're asian and because i apparently have some sort of fetish for them instead of just maybe thinking that i perhaps enjoy them because they make music that i enjoy is really annoying yeah it's it's really exhausting i think i but i also i think that you know it's also due to stereotypes because like why else would you like an Asian? Like they, they, they're they're not good for anything else. Type of that's what it sounds like they're saying, because like you can't help but find them attractive or find them enjoyable or the content they make enjoyable for any other reason. It's it's really stupid. Right, and then you know on top of that, when it comes to over sexualization treating asian men and women as people who only serve the purpose of being sexy and satisfying sexual desires is what actually leads to fetishization not me finding an asian person hot not anything like that is obviously believing that their only purpose is to satisfy your sexual desires that is what fetishization is exactly um, and then, you know, there's also this double standard of the treatment of Asian men and women in comparison to, like, men and women who are from Western countries. 
Um, I think Daisy, you wrote um, that bullet point, and it is true. There are so many double standards. Yeah, indeed. When it comes to all these double standards, it's just like, I just don't understand how people even make them up. Because like I was saying, for example, the way that people think that I can only stand BTS because I have a thing for Asians when that isn't true, even though I can find Asian people attractive because there are loads of people in every type of race who are attractive. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean that I have a thing for them. Um, But it's things like that where people will think that I have a fetish for that type of race. Meanwhile, I consume, you know, a lot of content that has white people in it why doesn't anybody ever think that i have a thing for white people if i'm watching a tv show or if i'm listening to a music artist that is white there's just that double standard and it makes no sense to me and again people you know want to talk about asian men being quote-unquote feminine because of certain traits that they have for example like like in the k-pop industry um you know idols Uh, especially male idols they don't really have facial hair and people see that as something to be feminine meanwhile there are plenty of artists i can think of in the west who don't really like growing out their facial hair either but nobody calls them girls for it like it just it just doesn't make sense to me it's also like uh you know k-pop idols wearing makeup and stuff but like have you not seen like a single rock band that's full of men also wear eyeliner and makeup. I mean, some of the most respected artists of all time, Michael Jackson, Freddie Mercury, Prince, all wear all wear makeup on stage or off stage. Right, they weren't they, they didn't fit the conventionally west like masculine, you know, western criteria and people still love them the same. So why is it that that same respect cannot be extended towards people like bts or other types of asian uh people in the industry or just asian people as a whole and it's clearly because of those double standards yeah it's it's really it's really exhausting especially okay listen the fact that you know when bts debuted namjoon had to read all those comments saying like he was too ugly to be a k-pop idol and then fast forward a few years, it's, oh, you stand BTS because they're attractive. I'm like, okay, so a few years ago, they were too ugly. Now they're too hot. Like, w- we can't win. Just switching the goalposts every single time because every single argument that they have is so inconsistent. They can never stick to one story. It's like, oh, you like BTS because they're hot, even though they used to be called ugly, like, back in their rookie days. Or it's like... Or, or like, my thing is it's like oh bts look like girls but also like your women are attracted to them so like aren't they doing something right then if women are attracted to them like i don't i don't understand like the i don't know male het logic does not compute in my brain yes this het male logic just never makes sense in my head so i i just 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 ignore it basically yep <laughs> But um, in terms of that, I think that pretty much concludes that section. So just to wrap things up, basically what we would like you guys to take away from this episode is that when it comes to things like infantilization and over-sexualization, there is a middle ground. People love to treat it as black and white where idols can only be seen as cute or they can only be seen as sexy when that is not true. The same way that anybody else is in this world 
be, you can be cute and sexy at the same time. You can be both. I don't know why people are acting like you have to choose one or the other when it is perfectly right. normal for a human being to have many different sides to their personality and to their physical appearance or their gender expression. So it's like, it just makes no sense to me how people like always believe that both cannot be true at once. Like, yes, BTS can be cute. They can also be sexy. They can also be funny, blah, blah, blah. I don't like this one dimensional stuff that people are on. It's giving me like very Wattpad-esque vibes. <laughs> not a Wattpad, but like, you're not wrong. Um, but yeah, like it's, there's there's a middle ground and you know i feel like some people um it's hard to tell just like off of one tweet like how people think of you know asian men um so i think it's important to just you know not not overreact because then you end up doing too much Right. And then another thing we want to encourage, um, as we included some in this podcast episode, we also want to encourage you guys to consume scholarly material about how Asian men and women have been constructed by white media and politics. You know, I think it's always important to, you know, read and, you know, educate yourself on the history and sociological, um, sociological building blocks of, Asian men and women, whether it be in regards to their place in Western society or even back home um, in their own homogeneous society. Right. I definitely agree with that. And the last thing that we want you guys to do is, like I was saying before, like reflect on any internal biases that you may have that have been socially engineered and therefore may not be apparent on surface level. So, you know, a lot of you guys are coming into uh, the K-pop sphere or just just like re like going into basically Korean culture in general or not even just Korean culture, any Asian culture in general. And you guys may think that you're not coming in with any biases. You may think that you're open minded, but you'll be surprised how many biases that we have as human beings, because human beings, whether we like it or not, or whether we want to admit to it or not, we have biases for everything. And so by not acknowledging that, um, you are basically setting yourself up to make very insensitive remarks or say something that can just really offend the Asian community. So please always make sure that when you are in these spaces where it is focused around Asian people that you are always questioning your intent, questioning how you come off, questioning how you see things. Always be sure to be doing research. Always be sure that you're always um, basically just being respectful because respect is obviously the bare minimum of what they deserve. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, sums everything up. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode and like always you can send us a dm or you know reply to our tweets about your thoughts because we love hearing feedback so we will catch you guys in the next episode and i don't actually think we've planned the next episode yet so i mean when this episode comes out i guess you'll hear it in the preview yeah so we will see you guys later bye for now 
Talk with Army is written and edited by Daisy and Delilah, who you can find on Twitter at Nijaz 329 That is at N-A-I-J-A-0329. And Adorable Trap at A-D-O-R-A-B-1-E-T-R-A-P. You can also follow our official podcast Twitter at Studio underscore 090713. That's at S-T-U-D-I-O underscore 090713. The thumbnail art was commissioned by Rafa, who can be found on Twitter at RKDraws, that's A-R-E-K-A-Y underscore D-R-A-W-S. Stay tuned for a preview of the next episode. Even continuing on from the same sentence, it basically says, they're filling a vacuum in the market created by One Direction's split to the philosophical, if boy band fandom is all about projecting your fantasies onto the performers, then perhaps a groups whose lyrics you don't understand represent an appealingly blank screen. Ooh. And it's wow. like the lack of research, the disrespect, the that's, underlying racism. Yeah, that's so disrespectful. Oh, because you guys can't understand it on first listen. You don't care about the music. You just want to look at pretty boys. Like, jump off a cliff.